0: So, for those of you that don't know, uh, my name is Andy. I'm the youth worker here at the church, um, and I also sometimes appear on church news. Um, And I've got the privilege uh, of rounding off the everyday series uh, today, and I'm going to be looking at everyday discipleship. Now, if you're not familiar with the word discipleship if you're not sure what the word discipleship means in a christian context the the process of discipleship i believe is becoming more like jesus as jesus called 12 blokes to follow him and and they ultimately carried on his ministry. So if you're a Christian this morning, you are a disciple and you are called to be be in this process of discipleship, to be made more and more every day to be like Jesus. And uh, everything that I'm going to say today kind of comes from the foundation of the verse that is on the screen now it's from Matthew 28 and it says this all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you it then goes on to say surely I am with you until the end of the age but we couldn't fit that on the screen and so please do read that extra bit in your bible when you read it Um, and each week, as somebody's preached, they've uh, used an item from these plinths uh, to represent what they are talking about. And uh, the shoes or the trainers um, represent what I am going to be speaking on this morning. Now, when I was a teenager, I had two pairs of shoes. I had my school shoes and I had my trainers. That's all a boy needs, really, in terms of shoes. You need your posh shoes that you have to wear when you go to school, but you also play football in them. Um, and you've got your trainers that you wear when you're not in school, or sometimes you might wear them on a mufty day when you're allowed to wear them to school. Um, and before I got married, that was all I ever needed to wear. But since I've got married, shoes have become a lot more prevalent in my life. These are mine and Laura's shoes. I should say some of mine and Laura's shoes. Um, the high heels are Laura's, just in case you needed that explaining to you. Um, but we've got so many shoes now in our life that we need a shoe rack. And, and again, this isn't all the shoes that Laura has, or I have. I think this is all the shoes that I have, but Laura's certainly got at least four times that many shoes. Um, too many. She's only got two feet. I don't know why she needs so many. Um, <laughs> But I believe every pair of shoes has got a story to tell, and uh, these shoes i have got a particular story to tell. These are my wedding shoes. Every bloke needs a pair of shoes that they wear to weddings, to funerals, to job interviews. These are my important shoes for important events. And uh, I got these shoes when I got married. I got them specifically for our wedding. I went to Office, uh, which is a very good shoe shop, but I must say, other shoe shops are also good. Um. <laughs> And I went, and we paid a bit of money, and I bought these shoes, and I was quite excited about wearing them. I'm like, new pair of posh shoes. So about an hour and a half before the wedding, I'd got my suit on, I'd had a shower, I'd put my aftershave on, I'd freshly cut my hair, I'd had all that done, and I sat down on my bed, ready to put my shoes on. I suddenly realised that my shoes weren't there. I turned to my best man, and I said, I haven't got my shoes, I don't know what to do. What had happened was earlier that morning, um, me and my dad had taken mine and Laura's car to a separate hotel. Now, we didn't trust any of our friends to, to have our hotel room in the same place where our reception is. If you know my friends, you'll understand why. So we um, chose to go to a hotel 45 minutes away from where the reception was, Um, and me and my dad had dropped mine and Laura's car off at that hotel that morning, so that the next day we could go on to the airport. Now as I sat on my bed and thought about where my shoes were, suddenly in my mind's eye I could see my shoes, they were in the boot of the car, 45 minutes away, not enough time to go and get them and be back in time to get married. I couldn't send Laura around the block or anything like that. I had to just come up with something else. I was thinking, do I get married in trainers? What do I do? So I phoned my mum and dad. And uh, if you know me, I I like to play practical jokes on people. And that morning, I'd probably played already three or four practical jokes on my mum and dad. I'd called their hotel room and told them that my best man was vomiting and couldn't possibly turn up. i told them all sorts of stories. So then, it turned into a Boy Who Cried Wolves situation. I phoned my mum and dad and said, my shoes are in the car. I can't, my shoes, we can't get them. I don't know what to do. And my mum was like, stop winding us up. You're stressing me out. Stop it. (laughs) Uh, I was like, no mum, I'm not, I'm not winding you off, this is true, she just hung up. So only, only when I went and stood at my mum and dad's hotel room door, wearing my whole suit and no shoes, did they believe me. So when I got married, I stood at the altar wearing my best man's shoes. My best man stood at the altar wearing my dad's shoes. And my dad stood next to him wearing the shoes he wears to walk the dog in. So whenever, whenever I make it to a wedding wearing these shoes, there's all, always a moment of celebration when I get to the church and I'm like, yes, I've got the shoes on. I'm always excited. So these shoes, I've got quite a story to tell. Now, these shoes here, you might be forgiven for thinking they're Laura's, however they're mine. Now, some men are brave enough and fashionable enough to wear Uggs seriously. I... I'm almost one of them men, but not quite. Um, a few years ago, Laura bought a pair of Ugg boots, and uh, I looked at them, tried to try them on, um, and uh, they didn't fit, but they looked really comfortable. And I said to Laura, I quite fancy a pair of those to wear in the house so no one ever sees them. Um, so Laura got me a pair, and you know what? Man, seriously, like swallow your pride, get a pair of these. It is like, it is like wearing two pillows on your feet. It's like you're constantly getting a hug on your feet. It's amazing. Um, And I only ever wear these in the house, apart from today. I I wear them as slippers. Um, But occasionally, I have forgotten that I've got them on my feet. Um, And I've been milling around the house in the morning, having my breakfast, left the house in a rush, only to sit down at my desk at work and go, I'm wearing my slippers. (laughs) And I've spent the whole day trying to explain to people that, that I'm not... I'm not trying to be over, overly fashionable, these are just my slippers. But it was a nice day, nevertheless. Um, but I believe shoes have got a story to tell. If your shoes could talk, what would they say about you? Um, I thought about the possibility of talking shoes. When I was a young child, I used to love the program, The Shoe People, um, There's a few nodding heads. People are singing the song. sh 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 -sh -sh people. Um, I love that. And uh, last week, I tried to find uh, some videos of talking shoes. And I found something that Google have recently released. Take a look at the screens and check this out. So, as if people don't post enough rubbish on Facebook already, you can now get updates off people's shoes. Like... What kind of world do we live in when you can get Facebook updates off people's shoes? But it got me thinking if your shoes could write a Facebook update, if your shoes could talk, what would they say about you? Um, In Acts 11, uh, we hear that the uh, the church, the disciples, were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, this verse and the book of Acts, which we've been focusing on throughout this series, um, the book of Acts is a it's almost like these group of disciples living out the verse that's on the screen. And in Acts 11, we hear that they're first called Christians in Antioch. Now, the phrase Christian literally means little Christs. And when they were called that in Antioch, it was meant as a, as a derogatory term. People were taking the mickey out of them. People were having a go at them going, you're such, you're such little Christs. And like, people were calling them little copies of Jesus and all sorts. Uh, and the church kind of sat back and looked at it and goes, oh, actually quite a good name i think i think we'll adopt that for ourselves and decided to call themselves christians and if if you were to look at your life would you be called a little christ if if i rephrase the question about what your shoes say about you and ask you who are you following if we looked at your journey if we looked at your shoes if we if we looked at your everyday life would it say that you follow jesus now, you might easily be sat there thinking, well, yeah, I do, I'm a Christian, I come to church. But do you, in your everyday life, wholeheartedly follow Jesus? I find that a challenge. And I'm not talking about following Jesus on Twitter. I'm talking about every day when, when you get up in the morning, when you go to work, are you following Jesus? See, for me, what I, what I constantly battle with is, a, is I follow a football team and I follow Jesus. And sometimes it can feel like my football team comes before God. And I wonder if this morning, if there's some stuff that comes between you and God that, that you follow before you follow Jesus. You might follow pop stars, or you might follow a promotion at work, or, or you might follow paying off your mortgage. I don't know what that is, but you probably do. See, if you were to look at your life, would, your life, would, some, would we be able to look at your life and say that you are a little Christ? See, I, I believe our, our uh, faith should be more than something that we take on a census form should be more than just a cliche. It should be more than just church attendance or, or attending events. It's following Jesus day in, day out. In my life, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a youth worker, I'm a football fan, I'm a driver, I'm a neighbour. I'm all sorts of different things. But I want first and foremost to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be a follower of God. And this morning, you, you might be sat there and you, you might uh, never have made the decision to follow Jesus. Can I just say, I'm not one biased, but can I say, it's the best decision you'll ever make. It's a decision that that I made when I was 15 and I've never regretted it. And it doesn't mean that that life is is always easy and everything's sorted, it's by far from that. But following Jesus in my life makes such a difference and I believe that Jesus can make a difference to your life. And if that's something that you want to explore, there are plenty of different ways that you can explore that here at church. And please do come and chat to, to myself or, or any of uh, the leadership of the church or chat to the friends that you've been with today. Um, but who do you follow? Who, uh, what do your shoes say about you? Um, I want to just uh, dip into a verse from 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Um, and it says this, it's Paul speaking, and he says, Follow my example as I follow Christ. Follow my example as I follow Christ. That's what we want to do. We want to we follow Christ so that others follow our example. The second question I want to ask you is, what do your shoes say to other people? Now, I'm going to take off my Ugg boots, although they are really comfortable. I do enjoy wearing them. These are my new-ish um, red high tops. I know you know they're red because they're red. Um, but these are called high tops. If you don't know what high tops are, these are them. And they're called high tops because they've got a high... Top. Um, so you can impress your children, your grandchildren, any young people that you come across and say, Oh, I like your high tops if they're wearing high tops. Um, but I believe these shoes say quite a bit about me. Um, first of all, they're red. Oh, nearly fell over. They're red, um, and I'm a Liverpool fan, so it says that. Um, but I think it takes a certain kind of character to buy these shoes. You have to, you have to be like, if you've seen me on church news, you'll know that I kind of like to be the centre of attention. Um, and if you know me, I quite enjoy people, people looking at me and laughing with me, not at me. Um, and I think these shoes, your eyes are drawn to them, aren't they? And, and it, it, it says a lot about me. Um, and I wonder, what do your shoes say to other people? A few Months ago, I did uh, some seminars with a girl called Miriam, and she works for Fusion, which is a, a charity working with university students and Christian unions, and uh, we were chatting in preparation for, for what we were doing our seminars on, and uh, she, we were talking over a cup of tea and coffee, and she said, one of my favourite questions at the moment to ask people to ask university students is, who are you talking to about Jesus? Jesus. And I was sat there like just going, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Oh, you're so so holy, Miriam, that's great. And then she said, so Andy, who are you talking to about Jesus? And I was like, "Um." and I found myself really challenged by that question. And I want to pass that question on to you this morning. Who are you talking to? About Jesus in your life in your everyday life when you go about who are you talking to about Jesus what are your shoes saying to other people about Jesus when Laura and I finally did get married in different shoes um, we uh, got an inscription on our wedding ring um, and it is of the Bible verse 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 and 21 and verse 20 says this we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. and we read that verse and we thought we want we want that to speak over our marriage we want our lives to be we want to be God's ambassadors you see if you were the if you were the Spanish ambassador to Great Britain you would probably live in the Spanish embassy in London and your job would be to represent the country of Spain to this country Great Britain if you were the British ambassador to Spain you would live in Spain which is quite a nice thought today, isn't it, living in Spain? But you would live in Spain and your job would be to represent our country to Spain. And the Bible calls us uh, citizens of heaven. And then when it says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, it is our job to represent God's kingdom here on earth. Who do you, how do you represent God's kingdom here on earth? What do you do in your daily life that represents God's kingdom on earth? The people look at you and they see a representation of Jesus. Who are you telling about Jesus? I, um, I was at the men's breakfast last Saturday morning and it was great. Bacon, sausage, it was brilliant. Um, but some of the life group leaders got up and shared a bit about their daily walk, about about their life groups and stuff. And I was really encouraged to hear some stories about how a These blokes were sharing Jesus in their daily life as they were at work, as they were walking the dog, as they went about their daily life. It was really encouraging to hear stories of what God had done in their everyday life. I want to challenge you, who are you talking to about Jesus? Because I want to be a disciple that makes disciples. I want to fulfill this scripture in my life. The Bible talks a lot about feet and telling people about Jesus. It's not an obvious link, Um, but I did find a few references, check this out, Isaiah 52 verse 7 says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the the news that the God of Israel reigns, how beautiful are your feet this morning, you might be thinking well I got a shower this morning, I, I sprayed them, I've got a nice flowers on my feet. (laughs) I'm not talking about that, but if God looked at your feet and saw your feet as a representation of who you talk to about Jesus, would God say that your feet are beautiful this morning? It's a challenge, isn't it? Ephesians 6 verse 15 says, for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now this is from a passage in scripture that's known as the armor of God. It's when uh, Paul talks about what Christians should put on daily, he's not talking about putting on robes and putting on physical clothes, but spiritual clothing. And he says, for shoes, put on shoes that are ready to go and tell people about Jesus. When you get up in the morning, are you, are you sat there and you're ready to tell people about Jesus? Are you putting on shoes that are ready to go and share the good news? Who are you telling about Jesus? The final question that I wanna ask you is this. Is who is following your shoes? These are my shoes. Uh, they've been affectionately known in the office as the, the manky trainers. Um, I'll accept that if I'm honest. Um, but they're so manky, they're so um, battered and bruised and smelly um, that genuinely, after the last service, I took them off and I put my hand there and I could feel the moisture coming out of them. They're not nice shoes. So I'm surprised that grass, even though it's plastic, I'm surprised it's not dyed, <laughs> being sat next to it. But these shoes are so battered and torn and worn is because these were my everyday shoes. These were my shoes that I would wear when I didn't need to think about what I was wearing on my feet. Today is a day where you need to think about what you're wearing on your feet. If you wear flip-flops or sandals today, you are not going to have a good day. Today, you need to think about your shoes, but, but these shoes are the, the shoes that I would wear every day to to walk the dog, to knit to the shop, to go shopping, to, to come to work. These are the shoes that I would wear every day. And uh, a few months ago, I was at a youth leaders uh, kind of retreat thing, and, and there was lots of talk about discipleship, and there was one phrase that really stuck with me that somebody said, and it kind of blew, blew me away. It rocked my world a little bit, and it was this. The lady said, are you truly a disciple if you're not making disciples? I'll say that again. Are you truly a disciple if you're not making disciples? It blew me away. I chewed it over and over again. You see... For me, if I looked at my life and my role within this church, is my, my job is, is to look after the young people, to, to disciple the young people. So I could easily sit there and tick that box and say, well, yes, I do. Because if I'm, if I'm not making disciples, then I'm not doing my job. I'm just sitting around playing FIFA and playing table tennis, which would be a pretty good job. But I don't want to just do that. And, and for me, I sat there and I was like, yeah, I can tick that box. But where, where it struck me is, am I making disciples that make disciples, that make disciples. You see, if I'm not making disciples that make disciples that make disciples, then I'm not really making disciples. There's a lot of use of the word disciples there, (laughs) but I hope you followed that. If I'm not making people, if I'm not um, discipling people, if I'm not encouraging the young people to go on and tell others about their faith and then go and make disciples, then I'm not doing my job effectively. And you see, it's changed the way I view my youth work and, and view what we do here uh, as a church. You see, if you'd have asked me before Christmas, how are we engaging with local schools? I'd have said, well, it's not really my role. It's, it's something the Fays do, but I, I don't really do any schools work. If you ask me that same question now, I would say, well, we probably regularly reach an impact about seven or eight different schools in the local area. But I never go in. You see, if I disciple and invest in our young people and then they go into their schools and tell their friends about Jesus and impact their friends and make disciples in their school, then we as a church, and me and my role, we are impacting those local schools. You see, discipleship isn't a, isn't a, I'm going to make disciples that all follow me and then all, we all follow Jesus together. It's a multiplication model. It's that if I impact one person who then goes in on to impact 30 people then i'm impacting 30 pe- 31 people through what i do does that make sense and i want us a uh, i want us to get beyond seeing um, discipleship as a job of the church leadership You see, you could sit there and think, well, that's easy for you to say, Andy. Your job is to work with young people. Your job is to disciple young people. Do you know, if I was a a bus driver or if if I was a teacher, whatever my job would be, or if I didn't have a job, my role and my calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to go and make disciples. And you as a Christian, it is your job to go and make disciples. You see, it's not just the church leadership's job. It's our job together as a church, Is that we as individuals have to be making disciples? If we're not making disciples, can we truly call ourselves disciples? If this is what a disciple looks like, Um, and let's let's turn to Acts. It's about time we turn to Acts. Um, Acts eleven, if you're following. Now at this point, I was thinking about having a Bible race, but I decided not to. because normally, what happens is you say, turn to your Bible, and, and some people who are, who are old school um, pull out their, their genuine paper Bible. If you've got a paper Bible, wave at me. Good. Quite a few old school people. Um, but if you're if you're new school, you might pull out your phone or your tablet or your iPad. If you've got your phone or your tablet or your iPad, give me a wave. See, I normally I normally pull out my iPad, um, and. I normally find the verse, look up to find that they've finished reading the verse, because sometimes it can be a little bit slow. So I actually believe that the paper Bibles are better for this moment. Um, So now that I've rambled a bit, you've probably all found the passage. I am actually going to read from my iPad, um, because, well, I spent a bit of money on it, so I better use it. Um, Other than to play games. (laughs) But it says this, Acts 11, verse twenty. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, at, he, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts." He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to to Tarsus to, to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You see, this is a model for discipleship that we see here in Acts 11. You see these guys, these, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they go to Antioch and they tell people about Jesus. They go and they say, we've met the Messiah. Jesus has transformed our lives. He can transform yours too. And people put their hands up. They, they respond. They pray the prayer line after line with the preacher. They become Christians. The men from Cyprus and Cyrene suddenly go, we've got a church to lead here and we haven't got a clue what to do. Then Barnabas turns up, he comes and sees what they're doing and he says, this is amazing, you're doing a great job guys, let me, let me help you, let me disciple you in leading a church. And Barnabas begins to do that, but Barnabas then realises that he's a little bit out of his depth. So he goes round the corner to Tarsus, which it kind of is round the corner if you look at the map in a big way. Um, he goes to Tarsus and he says, Saul, Paul, whatever your name is, I want you to come to Antioch and I want you to come and help me lead these people, lead the church, and this is a model of discipleship that we should look at and model ourselves. You see, it's easy to think when we when we think about discipleship is who, who, who is younger than me? Who is m- more immature than me and my faith that I can lead along in my ways and we will follow Jesus together? It's not about that. It's a 360 model. You see... The, the men from Cyprus and Cyrene were making disciples, but they were also being made disciples by Barnabas. And Barnabas, the same, he was, he was investing in, in the men from Cyprus and Cyrene, but he knew his own um, insecurities and his, his, his own need to be discipled. And he got Saul or Paul involved. Um, you see, for us, we need to have a 360 model of, of uh, discipleship. It's about first and foremost being a disciple following jesus and saying everything i do no matter what i'm wholeheartedly following jesus it's about being disciples it's about looking around you and seeing the people that, that perhaps are, are, are more experienced in, in in christianity than you it's about looking around and seeing people that you can learn from people that you can say can you help me out in my walk a little bit and it's also about making disciples it's about telling people about jesus but also getting alongside people and saying can i invest in you Can I help you along in your faith? I've got um, loads of that going on all around my life. And uh, one of uh, of the most obvious uh, relationships of discipleship that I've got is what I would describe as mutual discipleship. We disciple each other. See, I've got a friend called Adam, and he is a youth worker at a church in Quinton. And we've been friends for a number of years, um, and we play all sorts of sport together. We play football, we play golf, and I, I do believe that golf is holy. Um, not, no pun intended there. Um, do you know that got a bigger laugh at the nine than it did then? <laughs> See, I was going to say that golf is holy because one half of golf is two-thirds of God, if you think about the G and the O. That's not funny either. Oh, well, I'll work on my jokes for next time. <laughs> um, but we, we do all sorts of stuff together. We, we hang out, we play board games. Um, his, his wife and my wife are both good friends. We hang out a lot together. Um, and we, did, we were doing quite a bit of just chatting about God and, and talking about issues and, and helping each other out. And we decided to make it formal. So now once a month we meet for coffee or, or we go and do something. We intentionally ask each other difficult questions. We say, what's God saying to you at the moment? What, what are the things that, that you shouldn't be looking at that you're looking at or the things that you're listen, listening to? We ask each other challenging questions and we disciple each other together. You see, discipleship is, is about helping each other along. And I want to ask you, who are the relationships that you've got with people that are discipleship relationships that perhaps you've never realized that they are? But this morning you're thinking, that could be a moment where I am making disciples. Who are you already friends with that you could perhaps sit down with and say, could we meet up once a month for coffee? Or the reason I'm wearing my everyday shoes for this moment is I believe every day we should be making disciples. Discipleship is an everyday activity. And what are the things, when you you drop your kids off at school, could you be making disciples in that moment? When you uh, drive your car, are you making disciples as you drive your car? That's a challenge for some more than others, (laughs) myself included. Um, Are you making disciples? Could you do everyday activities and make disciples at the same time? You see, that's why I enjoy playing golf, because I, I found that golf gives me great discipleship moments. To play golf with somebody and chat to them about God is brilliant. But could you, if you're the handyman type, could you put up some flat-back furniture with somebody and have a discipleship moment? Could you invite somebody round to, to help you decorate their house or you go round to theirs and help decorate the house? Have discipleship moments there. Could you do it in the everyday life? You see, Jesus didn't, sa- didn't just say, okay, boys, I want you to follow me. And what we're gonna do is once a month, we're gonna meet at Starbucks. It's gonna be early because it always seems to be early. And uh, we're gonna read the word for an hour. Then we're gonna pray for an hour. Jesus didn't do that, did he? He said, come and follow me. Come and live your life alongside me. And I bet the disciples learned loads. Well, they did. 11 of the 12 of them went on to turn the world upside down who could you in your everyday life with have natural discipleship moments with and you may be sat there thinking I don't know much I don't know my Bible I don't know the Greek for this or the Hebrew for that I don't I don't understand everything about God do you know you don't need to it's about love it's about relationship it's not about knowledge Jesus didn't pick all the scholars to be his disciples he, he picked everyday blokes you see, you don't need to be an expert. You just need to love Jesus and you can make disciples. It comes back to that verse from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. I don't want you to go out and, and look to start new relationships with people. I'm not saying, come to me and say, can I disciple some of the young people? What I want to challenge you to do this morning is to look at your life. Look at the relationships that you have with people And say, how how many of these relationships can I turn into discipleship relationships? And let's make discipleship an everyday activity. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you that you call us to be your disciples. God, that through your your actions on the cross, God, for what you did because you died and rose again, God, we can follow you and we can be called disciples. And God, I pray that we would be a church of disciples who go on to make disciples. God, would you help us to make discipleship an everyday activity for, for us. God, I pray that you would call to mind now people in our lives that that we already have relationship with, God, that we could perhaps begin to invest more in discipling. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to put that into action. But God, as well, I pray that you would show us our own need to be discipled. Lord, and I pray that um, that you would help us to look for, for those people that could invest in us. Again, would you give us a spirit of boldness and, and humility to go and say to somebody, could you invest in me a little bit? God, I thank you that you call us to make disciples and that we don't do it out of knowledge, but we do it out of love. And that that promise that surely you are with us until the end of the age. Amen.